Hey, it's the good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit reminding you that nobody Patreons like we Patreon. So join us at C4FAP and go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and sign up at a level of your choosing. There's various tiers with various goodies for you. Somebody, Something that everyone gets at any level is you get to be a part of our Slack channel community. And you get early and ad-free access to all our episodes. But wait, there's more. So go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and check out all we have to offer. We urge you, sign up today. Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing Eisner Award winner and the amazing Stuart Moore. Stuart, welcome to the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I'm uh, I'm just sitting here in my in my home in Brooklyn, and things are okay. Thank you. No, but thank you, thank you very much. Now, listeners, Stuart is here to promote the Wrong Earth Purple One Shot. Now, this is a part of the Ahoy Comics Magazine Multiverse of Madness event. Now, you know. Um, the comic and well, when this episode airs, the, the issue would be out in stores already. But you know what? This multiverse of madness event has already made two billion dollars when it came out on May 18th, and that was only on Earth Kappa. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. Now, before we dive into the interview, I want to tell Stuart. You know, Stuart, for the last month, the majority of my interviews literally have led up to this moment. It all started with my interview with Tom Pyre when I started to talk to him about the Wrong Earth event. And then I spoke to um, Elisa, um, Elisa Quitney. You know, I know she worked at Vir um, on Vertical, with Vertical Comics. I, and I believe, I, I, I think you might have worked with her back during that time in Vertical. Yeah, yeah, Tom and, uh, Tom and Elisa and I all worked together on staff for a while. Yes, and then, and then one of my other interviews that I did was with Carrie Harris. Now, Carrie right. Harris. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she wrote the second book in the Marvel Crisis Protocol novel series. Now, her book is called Shadow Warriors. Um, Shadow Avengers, actually. Yes. Shadow, oh, Avengers. Sorry, yeah. Shadow Avengers. I'm sorry. Shadow Avengers. Sorry. I'm thinking Shadow Warriors, the Japanese yeah. Yeah, samurai yeah. show. From <laughs> All right. Listeners, you guys are in for a treat. This, we're just going to have fun with this interview. We are. So. <laughs> So, but I'm also going to say, you know, Stuart, I'm going to say Carrie gave high praises for your book. She read your book and she, and, you know, and of course I have to let, mention to the listeners um, that your book, Stuart, that you wrote, it's, it was the first book in the Marvel Crisis Protocol and it was um, um, titled Target Cree. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, that's correct. Marvel Crisis Protocol is a, um, it's a, uh, it's a tabletop gaming system actually mm -hmm. um, in, with miniatures. And uh, I was commissioned to write the first novel, which is called Target Cree, and Carrie's written the, um, uh, the second one, uh, Shadow Avengers, which um, picks up on a team that I introduced right at the very end of mine. Um, so we're sort of tag teaming the books a little bit. They have a relationship to each other. Yeah. And, and, and I'm gonna say, just for our listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty much mostly the books are kind of standalone stories. But like you said, there's that little bit of that ending part where it kind of goes into hers. Book, correct yeah yeah the um the crisis protocol books are sequels to each other um there uh it hasn't been announced yet but um i might be working on a third one <laughs> right now so uh 
<laughs> so, uh, so yes, but um, but yeah, Carrie, I'm glad Carrie said nice things about my book because she had to read it. She was forced to read it because she had to pick up from where I left off. Um, but uh, but she had no choice in the matter. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, and her her book is as you say is just out and it's it's wonderful. It's a, it's about a whole new team um, mm -hmm. led by Doctor Strange. It's really fun stuff. And then also, too, I want to say because during the interview, Carrie strongly she really strongly encouraged me to buy, you know, to buy the first book, your book. And also, well, of course, I'm going to buy her book too, you know, to, because she said it was a very good story. She said, your story was very good. So, you know, so Carrie, thank you very much for that recommendation. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And then also my, you know, and one of my last interviews that I've done was with Nancy A. Collins. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Now she, now correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding was that she, is she was the first female writer to write the Swamp Thing in the early '90s. Yeah, I believe that's right. I was the editor, and I, I was I was the one who hired her for that. Yes, she was telling me yeah. that incredible story. It was yeah. great. No, it's that. I, but it's just like I said, it's just so cool. Like within the last month, I'm talking all to all these people, and and and, and it's like, Nancy. Yeah, Nancy was by the way. Nancy was also the first writer from Louisiana to write Swamp Thing. <laughs> She was the first one who actually lived in the area, knew the uh, knew knew the whole setting and everything. So, so that was important too. Yes, because she was telling me. Sorry, I'm kind of going off the cuff. Oh, I'm just going all over the place yeah. too. But it was great because she was telling me about, you know, that, you know, she said, you know, growing up in the swamps, you know, you have to be careful where you step, snapping <laughs> turtles. Um, I, I think those, those deadly poison snakes, the mosquitoes, or something like that. You just got to be careful where you go. You know. So mm -hmm. yeah, but. I, that was so cool. And <laughs> I'm going to say, um, after talking to her, I'm really, I, I want to, because the um, Swamp Thing by Nancy A. Collins Omnibus is out. And I think it's like through Amazon. I know in stock trade still has it. I mean, I want to pick up that Omnibus just to yeah. read it. Yeah, that was quite, yeah. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of issues. That's mm -hmm. a, some fun stuff. <laughs> All right. Now, listeners, um, you know, I'm going to go, over through i'm going to go through stewart's you know, amazing history of working in comics and in the published industry i'm just going to go over the highlights um and stewart you know please correct me if i'm wrong please add anything you know any any little tidbits or if you want to expand okay. on certain things please do now listeners like i said that you know stewart um is an Eisner um, is an Eisner Award winner. He won the Will Eisner Award for Best Editor back in 1996. He won the Don the Don Thompson Award for Favorite Editor back in 1999. Um, for comics, Stuart, you you know I'm like I said I'm just gonna I'm just picking on I just have to go through just picking on some stuff. And like I said, please feel free to add anything. Now, for from Ahoy Comics, you wrote the Captain Ginger series. Yes. Um, um, and I was that back in 2018 or 2019? Uh, well, there have been two uh, two volumes. Um, so the first one was with the launch of Ahoy in 2018. The second one was basically in 2020. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of the second one ran into some trouble because because of the pandemic, basically. Um, and we finished it digitally, but there are trade paperbacks in print of both of them. And uh, we are working on a little, some more. It's happening very slowly, um, mm -hmm. but there'll be a, there'll be um, there'll be at least a at least a one shot um, coming up um, sometime soon. 
Okay. Then also to for the um the volume one trade, um you had legendary writer artist Walt Simonson, who um who gave a I believe the introduction in the uh, he introduced the um he had an introduction in the trade. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Walter gave us a very very nice um uh, endorsement blurb for the um for the first issue, and it uh, if you if you ever met Walter, he um. He's uh he he's very loquacious. He 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 loves to talk, mm -hmm. and uh, he he uh he also loves to write. And he wrote such a long blurb endorsing the book that we asked him if we could use it as the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so and he very graciously said yes. So uh, yeah, that was uh, that was really nice to him. He's he was very kind there. I just want to read the the one quote that I that I saw on the cover was he Walt said this book is steeped in cat lore cat behaviors and cat knowledge <laughs> that's fair yeah <laughs> yeah i uh i have um i have a couple of cats um and i've always had i've always i grew up with cats i've always had them um but june has a june brigman my collaborator yes. mm -hmm. um has a frightening number of cats um she's uh i think she's got six or eight right now uh -huh. um so she's uh she she really uh, I know cat behaviors but she really really knows cat behaviors um, and uh, she's been just great she uh, she she gives each one of the characters even though they're humanoid cats she gives them person uh, incredible personalities that you can just instantly relate to that is so cool and then just and I just want to say also too that the um, series is color is it is the whole series colored by Veronica um, Gandini uh, is that correct Gandini yeah yeah. Okay. All right. And then also to um, you, for Ahoy Comics Magazine and listeners, I keep referring to Ahoy Comics Magazine because I love when I talk to Tom Pyre, he always wanted to make, you know, Ahoy Comics more of a magazine and each issue adds little things to it. Like I think I know David Hyde of Superfan Promotions um, contributed a page of making some type of alcohol. Um, um, not an alcohol, a cocktail. <laughs> yes, he, he's, a, he's actually done that for each of the Wrong Earth one-shots. He's got a um, wonderful 1980s themed page in mind. Oh, okay. That's so cool. Um, so I know, so Stuart has also written some short stories for um, Paul, um, well, Agron Paul, um, Sniffer of Death. Um, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I've written a couple of things. Uh, Ahoy has published four volumes of Edgar Allan Poe's. It was originally Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror. Then it became, oh God, I'm forgetting the middle one. And, and eventually it became Snifter of Death. Blood. Snifter of Blood is the other one. Um, oh. And yeah, I've written a few short pieces throughout. Uh, I, I, my most recent one uh, was in the first issue of Snifter of Death. And that was a short story of a uh, of Edgar Allan Poe as a little boy, um, and he has a little pet raven who follows him around. It's a, uh, it's very silly, but but Poe's Snifter of Death is like that anyway. It's all, it's um it's basically um, humorous horror stories um, mm -hmm. hosted by Edgar Allan Poe as our own particularly drunken version of the Crypt Keeper, kind of introducing things. Um, it's a, it's a it's a lot of fun. It's a lot, it's a fun sandbox to play in. Yeah, um, and then also too um, now Stuart. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when I looked up, when I was doing some research, you're pretty much well known for writing the fire, um, Firestorm Volume Three um, from 2005 to 2007, from issues 14 to 32, 
and, yep. and I guess the storyline is called Reborn, and the focus is on James James Roche is the Firestorm in that series. Uh, Jason. 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 I'm sorry. Jason. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I picked up that book. Uh, yeah, about a year into the run, um, and uh, at that time, uh, it was it, it was starring Jason Rush, and the artist was Jamal Igle, yes. who I'm still friends with, and who does the Wrong Earth, the the core Wrong Earth series for um, for Ahoy, um, and. Uh, yeah, Jamal and I really clicked on it. We uh, we really enjoyed working on it. We were um, it it was the usual DC situation where there were all sorts of crossovers to be accommodated and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a wonderful experience. And it was um, the editor at the time was Steve Wacker, mm -hmm. um, yes. who's now doing uh, working with Jonathan Hickman at Substack. And uh, Steve really took a chance on me. That was the first. Um, sort of long running comic I worked on. Mm -hmm. um, I'd been in around the industry for a while. I'd edited a lot of books and I'd done a lot of, I'd done some graphic novels and short pieces, but uh, he really, um, he really gave me a shot on that. And uh, I was always grateful for that. And that was it. Yeah, it was a really fun series. It went through a lot of changes, mm -hmm. even just who Firestorm was and how his powers were yes. changed a lot during the course of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it, I, I think it came together pretty well. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite proud of those books. Mm -hmm. And, then, and uh, Reborn, you mentioned Reborn. That's the title of one storyline, mm -hmm. and it's the only one they actually collected in trade paperback. It was, um, they did an event at DC called One Year Later. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Where everything skipped a year, um, and that was our One Year Later storyline. Um, and it was when Firestorm Jason wound up having to share the Firestorm persona with um, the character Firehawk. Um, yeah which was a very strange thing to do because uh, you had a superhero, mm -hmm. Firehawk, joining with a regular kid to become another superhero. Like, and I, I always had, it was suggested by DC and I, I liked it. I, I liked the characters. I liked the way they yes. interacted. But making the, the rationale work out was funny because I always thought, why does she need to do that? Like she already has powers. Like why does she need to become another superhero? Yeah. But uh, so it wound up being a situation they were forced to do for a while and then we got it around to something else. But it was, um, that was fun. It was great. And working with Jamal is always a joy. That was mm -hmm. just wonderful. Uh, okay. And then, sorry, off the cuff question and I'm kind of jumping ahead just a yeah. little bit because um, now correct me if I'm wrong, doing my research, um, when you're reading comics, you love the um, original Firestorm. Is that correct? Oh yeah, yeah. I had uh, I, I had been just about the right age when that came out, and the um, uh, this was this is kind of <laughs> obscure comics history, but um, yeah. the original run of Firestorm was um, canceled after I think five issues, something, <laughs> because um, DC went had a line wide the DC implosion that just sort of like they axed a whole lot of books at once. So it really ended in the middle of a storyline, um, and uh, and that was frustrating. Like I remember that I was like, "What what happens next?" It was a, uh, it was I was really enjoying it, but, but they brought it back a few years later, and then it ran for a very long time after that. Because I'm going to say because I remember seeing ads. Correct me if I'm wrong. Because that Firestorm character came out what in the 70s, the late yeah, 70s, 70, 77, somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. Because I remember seeing those ads in the DC comics of like, oh my God, what is, it, it just feels like it, it, how the ad was like captured and like, you know, you know. Yeah, it was really, it was really explosive looking stuff. And it was also at a time when uh, DC hadn't, DC wasn't launching a lot of new books. Like, mm -hmm. so it kind of stood out, like, what is this? And I think Jerry Conway and uh, Al Milgram have said that uh, they kind of, 
the original Firestorm costume, they, they made it really exaggerated and overblown because they wanted it to be a high school kid's idea of what a superhero costume was. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was very splashy. It really stood out on the page. It, it, yeah, it really is. Sorry, I'm kind of going off the cuff. Um, <laughs> because don't ask me why, but I love the Firestorm character. And I'll, be, and I'll be honest with listeners, I know who Firestorm is. I know, you know, but I've, I'll be honest, I've never read the series, but it's just, I love oh, the okay. costume. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just, um, because when, um, oh, when Kenner launched the, um, I, um, the, um, I want to say the superpower series, you know, the yes. action figure line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember buying the Firestorm action figure. Again, never read the comic, but I loved the, the costume, the character. And um, and a couple years ago when um, I think DC was doing their own um, action figure line before it changed over to um, McFar- um, Todd McFarlane Toys, I bought the Firestorm action figure. It, mm-hmm. it, the original costume design, I just love it. I, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, sorry about that. Okay. So continuing. So comics, you've wrote, you wrote some X-Men titles, you wrote new Avengers, Spider-Man, Star Trek, you know, you have a long list. And then as you mentioned, graphic novels, I'm just going to mention a couple. Um, one of the graphic novels that you wrote was, it was an adaptation of Brian, um, Jacques, Jacques, Redwall. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out in um, 2007, and that was, um, and the art was done by um, Brett Blevins. Is that correct? Yes, and Brett was a big Redwall fan, and uh, he uh, he did, he did a beautiful job on it. Um, mm-hmm. That worked out. That worked out really well. Yeah, and then also too, and just recently in 2019, um, you did the um, Batman Nightwalker um, graphic novel, and art the art was done by Chris Wildgoose. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. That was a that's a confusing one to explain to people because that is actually um, that was one of the first books commissioned in DC's um, Ink Line, mm-hmm. which is their young adult series, and uh, it's actually an adaptation of a prose novel by Marie Lu. Yes, um, and I adapted it to comics form. Uh, Chris Chris did a gorgeous job on it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It took a long time actually. Um, it was one of the first ones commissioned, but it was not one of the first ones to come out because it just mm-hmm. took a it took a long time to put the whole thing together, but uh, yeah, that was a that was just a wonderful experience that worked out really well. Because I'm going to say because because I've heard that um, this um, the DC Inkline um, graphic novels they're very popular. It's really good. You know, I've heard like some, you know, yeah, um, yeah you know, just like you know, some of the books that come from there. You know, some of my friends say, yeah, these these stories are great. Yeah, there's some really um, quality stuff there. They got uh, they got a really interesting mix of creative people working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're still yeah they're still coming out. They've uh, they've got a, they had a lot of stuff in the works, um, but uh, yeah, they, like the Raven book got a lot of attention. There were yes. there, there were quite a few of them. Yeah, and they're really good. Like they're really um, they're really fun stuff. They're out of continuity for the most part. Like yeah, they're um, they're generally their own thing. Um, but things like Green Lantern Legacy that was a really good title. There are a lot of them. Yeah. Okay, and then now I know you've done some prose works. Um, yeah. You wrote a short story. Excuse me. Um, uh, you wrote a short story in Star Trek Constellations. That is an anthology book celebrating Star Trek's 40th anniversary. Your short story was called Chaotic Response, and I know this is an audio, but 
I have a copy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Wow. I think I have a copy too. I should have a copy. Uh, yeah, that was a, that, that was a, uh, the assignment there was just to do a story um, from the original series because yes. that's what they were doing the anniversary of. And uh, I decided to do a story about Spock that actually used logic theory, <laughs> which I hadn't really seen before. Um, <laughs> and I was a little bit hampered by not knowing very much about logic theory, but that's what research is for. Oh, and yes. uh, I think it came out reasonably well. Yes. Um, I can't remember a thing about it now. It's been so long. But uh, <laughs> other than that. <laughs> trying to research, prepare for this um, interview. Um, I'm sorry. I, I started to read the first few pages of it. I love it because it's, it's Spock and another Vulcan. And, you know, it's just for base to me in the first few pages, it's Spock trying to focus on being logical with all these distractions being thrown at him. Yeah. You know, um, the, the changing color of the lights, um, you know, it, 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 but it makes sense because I, yeah, kept, mm -hmm. it's coming back to me now. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I think I was basing some of that on um, some of the training sessions we've seen of young Spock in the various movies. Um, yes. and, uh, and more recently, even in um, Discovery, we saw mm -hmm. some of that too. But yeah. Um, so um, um, off the cuff question, are you, um, are you a big Star Trek fan? I am a big Star Trek fan, yes. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I just actually watched the, um, the first episode of Strange New Worlds, which I loved, but that was really fun. I, me and my wife, we just watched it. I love it. It was, yeah. oh my God, it was like, this I just, is there's, there's a really, there's a really nice, I mean, it's, 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 it tackles some issues really nicely, but there's yeah. also just a really nice feeling about it. I just kind of wanted to live in the sick bay with those people. I just really like those characters, you know? It's, yeah. Um, um, yes, yes, sorry, I, I, I could go on, but let me continue <laughs> on with this because we need to get we need to promote the wrong earth purple. Yes, so, yes. sorry, oh, that's why we're here. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, so let me just I'm just gonna cut. Um, so I know you've done some um, other pros work, you've done X Men, the Dark Phoenix Saga, yes, um, Civil War, and it's Civil War, a novel of the Marvel Universe. And of course, yeah, that's based on the um, that's based on the comics, not on the not on the movie. Um, okay. So it was a it, it, it and that was quite a challenge. That was um, what was going on there too was I was um, on a freelance basis. I was editing Marvel's own series of prose novels, mm -hmm. and that was the first one. And the only person who could write it in time was me. So um, so actually, my um, my editor on that was Marie Javins, who's now editor in chief of DC. Um, we brought her in to work on that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but that was a um, uh, that was a real challenge because there are just so many characters and so many tie-in stories and everything yes. to Civil War. And at the time, I, I, I felt like I had to really pick and choose. Like I left Hawkeye out because I just didn't want to, I didn't want to overwhelm new, new readers, you know, mm -hmm. who wouldn't know all these characters. And I, I've thought about this recently. If I were doing this today, and I kind of am with the uh, Crisis Protocol books, I don't worry about it as much because I just figure all these characters are much more familiar to people um yes. from all the movies yes so and that's a big change in just 10 years yeah yes yes yeah and it's incredible and as you mentioned it's 10 years because yeah this year we celebrate um the marvel's the avengers movie that came out 10 years yeah ago. that's incredible i can't believe that you know yeah so like like you said now people know who hawkeye is the the amazing thing is people know who groot is yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we 
because Stuart, let's be honest, you know, 15 years ago, if you and me talk about group, we kind of know who we're talking about. We're also thinking about that early night, that the, the early or the fifties comic book. Oh, um, the Kirby thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, so, so anyway, I'm sorry. So, okay. Um, I know you also worked, you also wrote a non, you wrote a couple of, you know, a number of nonfiction books. One of them was Marvel's Iron Man three, the art of the movie. Um, You've been an editor at St. Martin's Press for Marvel Knights. And correct me if I'm wrong on this. You you were one of the founding editors of Vertigo? Is yeah, I was, one of the, I was one of the initial editors there. Um, I, I joined DC about two years before the Vertigo imprint was launched mm-hmm. as part of Karen Berger's editorial group, which the company was expanding, mm-hmm. um, not yet knowing they were going to spin it off into a separate, um, separate imprint. But yeah, I edited uh, Swamp Thing and Hellblazer and... Oh God, Transmetropolitan, yes. uh, Books of Magic, a whole lot of things. Um, yes. I was there for quite a while. Yes. I Off the cuff question, how was, and this kind of sounds like a dumb question I'm going to ask you, but what, would, what did it feel like being there literally at the start of Vertigo? The Vertigo well, imprint. No, that's not a dumb question. I don't know if I have a smart answer to it, but uh, it, um, it, uh, we knew it was something important. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and, and Vertigo had a, Vertigo had a head start um, on a lot of imprint launches in that the editorial group was already publishing four or five of the comics, that, or six actually, I think, of the comics that became part of the core of the imprint. Yes. So Swamp Thing, Hellblazer, Shade, Sandman, of course, um, and uh, that was the star, um, and a couple of others, Animal Man, Doom Patrol. Um, so we, we knew we had something running already that people would recognize and, and that people liked. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a matter of building on it. And we really had a feeling that the time was right. DC was very supportive. DC was very much behind the whole thing. So, um, so yeah, it, uh, it, 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 it was, um, it was nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, uh, we didn't have quite as much staff as we had in later years. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, there was a there was a lot of work to be done, and there was a lot of there was a lot of change happening all around the industry. Um, but uh, but we knew we knew it was something big. It was exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay, but like I said, that because you know it's in, because it's incredible. Like I said, what you guys have done, it's incredible. Yeah, and it's amazing. Okay, Stuart, I'm going to ask you: Did I miss anything? <laughs> uh, did you miss anything? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of other things, but that's fine. That's enough. That's plenty for now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then um, I'm going to ask, do you want to add anything to your list? Did I miss something or any key things? You know, uh, geez, I'm trying to look at, uh, I'm trying to look at what, uh, what was, uh, what I've, what I've done. I'm looking at the shelves. I'm trying to see if there was that's anything. Fine, yeah. um, no, the, um, I, I think you, I, I think it was on your list. I don't know if you mentioned the Zodiac legacy novels that no, I, uh, I missed that one. Please talk about I, that. Yeah. I co-wrote those with Stan Lee. He created them. Um, and, uh, those were, uh, uh, those were, um, young adult novels about or middle grade novels, actually about a, um, a, a team of, um, an international team of superheroes, uh, teenage superheroes, Mostly teenage. We actually had a little problem with it because they were all um, born in different um, different uh, years of the Chinese zodiac, oh, which okay. meant that unlike most teams, 
they couldn't all they all had to be different ages <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> because yeah. they were born in different years so that was a that was a challenge actually uh -huh. but they, um but that was a lot of fun stan um stan created the whole thing um we co-wrote the stuff and then um andy tong did gorgeous full page illustrations yeah. um he's i was just actually i just spoke to him for the first time the other day i'd never i'd never actually met him but uh we were there was a project we were maybe going to do together that unfortunately he had to back out of but mm -hmm. uh um but uh but yeah that whole thing and those books were the first couple of volumes especially were extremely popular i think disney i think disney lost interest in it a little bit as mm -hmm. it went along um but uh but uh i um it, well i haven't done many conventions the last couple of years but the last few times i did conventions um the uh i i would get kids coming up to me who'd read those books or who'd read the first one and they're they'd gotten it out of their school library or something and say like um i want to know what happens next do you have and i would you know, I remember one one little girl. She was, she seemed really smart, and her um, her mother was like, "You can buy one book. You can buy one book." Mm -hmm. So I sold her the second volume, and then she came by the table again. And I I just gave her the third one. <laughs> just, just like, just take it, just take it. So, uh, so that was that was fun. That was really rewarding, and it was like I, I haven't I haven't um I haven't worked to that audience very much, um, and I would like to I'd like to do more. That's so awesome. And then before I continue on, because there was one other book series, your prose novels that you worked, it was a series, the Dark Dark Future books, is that correct? Yeah, those are the first novels I wrote. They're, um, they're, uh, that's a spin-off property from Warhammer. Okay. Um, and in fact, the people behind Warhammer are actually the same people who are now behind Aconite Books, which is publishing the Crisis Protocol stuff. Yes. Um, so, uh, uh yeah they um they I, again as i said about steve wacker on firestorm they took a chance on me i wrote a couple books for them it was a fun series it was satirical stuff set in the near future um mm -hmm. and uh it didn't sell very well <laughs> but uh but um they were a lot of fun to write and unlike most books i've written um for properties like this uh there were very few limits on uh language and um and violence so uh so you, i i could i could have a little more fun and swear a bit more than usual which i always like to do <laughs> <laughs> all right now um now before we really get into the interview i i want to give a big shout out to hannah behedry of super fan promotions yes. for asking comics for fun and profit um to interview Stuart hannah oh and she also set up this interview too as well so hannah thank you very much Stuart, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, yeah. Hannah's great. And I thank you, Hannah. And um, Hannah also uh, writes the uh, Ahoy Comics newsletter, which is um, which is wonderfully written and mm -hmm. always entertaining. And that can be you can get uh, you can just sign up for that at uh, the address is bit.ly slash news Ahoy, all lowercase. Okay. All right. Now, um, also to I keep mentioning, I peppered throughout the, um, the introduction part that, you know, um, some of the information I got was from um, Stuart's website. Um, and Stuart, correct me if I'm wrong, I think your, your website is basically stuartmore.com. I forgot to write that down. No, it's uh, stuartmorewriter.com. Right. Okay. Um, right. There are a few too many Stuart Moores in the world, unfortunately. But, uh, but yeah, stuartmorewriter.com. Then also too, I got also the, um, you know, also too, I also got from some in information from the Firestorm fan website. The article is titled Stuart Moore Exclusive Interview with, with Firestorm Fan. That article came out in August um, 2017. Um, 
I'm not, no, August 17th, 2011. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Stuart, where can people follow you on social media? Uh, I am on, um, uh, I'm probably most active on Twitter, where my address is StuartMoore1. Um, that's S-T-U-A-R-T, for mm-hmm. people who are wondering. Um, I'm also on Facebook at the same address, actually, StuartMoore1. Um, on Instagram, it's StuartMoore01. Uh, you already mentioned my website, which is StuartMooreWriter.com. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, seems to me probably someplace else, but um, that's, that, that, yeah, that covers it. I'm on the, um, I also, I, I help curate the Ahoy Comics website, which is comicsahoy.com. Oh, and nice. I have a page on that as well. Oh, okay. Now, Stuart, where did you grow up? I am uh, originally from the Boston area, but mm-hmm. I pretty much grew up mostly in central New Jersey. Oh. Um, and my mother still lives out there. Um, I just sort of uh, moved from there up to, um, up to New York City, where, and I still live in, I've lived in Brooklyn uh, pretty much all my adult life. Mm-hmm. And then um, what was or were your first comics or Sunday comics that you read growing up? Yeah, um, I, uh, I think you and I talked about this a little bit. I, I, uh, I have a copy of Action Comics from 1967. Somebody, Phil Hester or somebody just posted the cover. Like, uh, I can't remember who it was now. No. On Twitter, it's, it's super. Oh, I know what it was because it, um, it was one of Neil Adams' first DC covers, I think. It was um, oh Superman versus the Annihilator. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it was actually a little confusing because it was the middle part of a three-part story. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I found out what happened with the bloody Annihilator. Um, but, uh, and the son of the Annihilator, who basically looked like a 1950s juvenile delinquent no leather jacket um uh-huh. but uh but anyway uh, yeah that one and i remember reading some legion of superheroes when i was quite young too um we, we always did have newspaper strips in the house i remember being very very into um uh the well it was the cats and jammer kids but i think it was actually the the spin-off strip the captain and the kids um because the, cap, the cats and jammer kids went through a whole this is a long story but no, it, went no, a whole, it went through a whole very strange um copyright decision where two guys sued and claimed to own the rights and the judge in a very unusual ruling that would not hold up to appeals probably um gave the rights to both of them so there were two strips for a while named called the cats and jammer kids and the captain and the kids and the captain and the kids was the one that ran in the in the new york sunday news which my grandfather subscribed to and would pass me the comics sections of so uh so and i loved it because it had it had all the great comics and it, it had dick tracy on the front and it had it had everything. Um, so that, that I particularly remember. Yeah, Dick Tracy was fun too. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. Also too, um, I'm going to ask like, while growing up, what books, what books or like what genre of books did you read while growing up? I was a big science fiction fan mostly um, when I was growing up. In fact, I've, uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I always liked the works of Philip K. Dick. When I got a little older, I really liked uh, Robert Anton Wilson's Illuminatus series. Mm-hmm. Um, I have just been rereading some stuff that I hadn't read since I was a teenager, which is the works of Cordwainer Smith, um, who's a real favorite of mine and uh, not very well known today, but very influential on a lot of people. Um, his, main, um, his main sequence of stories was about uh, a galactic empire called the Instrumentality of Mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been mined by um, Jim Starlin used the word instrumentality in the in his 1970s Warlock comics. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, J. Michael Straczynski um, used a lot of concepts from this guy's work in Babylon 5. Mm -hmm. um, he's very influential, mm -hmm. um, more than he's known now, but the stuff is just very, very mythological with layers and layers of future history that people, and a lot of sort of references to the forgotten modern times that, uh, that people only know through, again, these sort of like layers of lost civilization. Um, it's problematic in a lot of ways too, because he, um, he had some, uh, he had some problems with LGBTQ people mm -hmm. in, in ways that are of the time. Yeah, um, that's, yeah. So there's, there's some stuff you have to screen out if, you, mm -hmm. if you're going to read it now. Um, but it's, um, but I'm really enjoying revisiting it. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's really sort of lyrical, huge scale stuff. Okay. I, off the cuff question. It must've been great. Um, you know, literally you know living you know um back then to have all these amazing science fiction writers at that time you know because yeah. you know it, it must have been awesome to go in a bookstore or just to your library and just say oh my god you know yeah and the field was um it, the field was smaller then so you could actually sort of uh, you could you could cover it you know what i mean yeah. you could uh, you could absorb all the important stuff um and yeah as a kid like i would i like every everybody tells this story probably like i would go to the library and there'd be there was all kinds of stuff there and but i also had pretty good local shops that uh would get in new paperbacks and i would just uh, i would i would devour them they used to be um uh, they still are but they're um there were um there were some pretty good series of years best short stories that would come out every yes. year science fiction and i would uh, and that was a good that was a good survey of the field i could find writers you know who i wanted to read more of i found some people i really liked in that like r.a lafferty i remember mm -hmm. and uh yeah so so there was yeah that was that was fun okay and then um now drew comics for fun and profit um podcast co-host submitted this question um do you remember what was your first um comic shop well, Drew, um, <laughs> what I, uh, the one, uh, th there, there were a couple, um, and uh, there was, um, there was a shop that might still, there might still be some incarnation of it in, in existence in um, Harvard Square in Boston uh, called the Million Year Picnic, mm -hmm. which went through a lot of changes. And when I first went there, it was a combination um, science fiction and comic book store, which was common yes. in, back, that, back yes. then. Um, and it eventually split into <laughs> two halves. <laughs> there was a, the Millionaire Picnic became the comic shop. And then there was a, a wonderful store called the Science Fantasy Bookstore that was around for a while. Um, but, uh, and there was a similar one actually in uh, Princeton, New Jersey, closer to where I lived then. Um, and I can't remember the name of it. And it did not last very long. It was only around for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. But that was where I found a lot of, um, well, a lot of the very, very first of the direct market only comics, but also a lot of, um, a lot of sort of small or what we call semi-pro um, uh, science fiction publications. Like there was a magazine called Unearth that published a lot of new writers. Uh, there was stuff like that that I, uh, that I just loved. That's great. And again, there was less of it back then. So you could kind of, you could kind of, you, you, you could get a sense of, you could read most of it, which yes. was kind of exciting. Oh, yes. Now, how did you get started um, in writing both novels and comics? Well, I, uh, I, I've always written things, um, but I, uh, I, I really get started um, when I left, 
when I left DC in 1999, uh, which I did without much of a plan, um, I just felt like I'd been there long enough and I, um, I needed a, I'd been working full time for my entire adult life and I needed a little break. Um, and I started writing a few things, a few small press um, projects. Um, and then sooner than I expected, I got a job at Marvel Knights and I did that, I did that for a yes. while. But the Marvel Knights job was, um, was uh, uniquely set up because um, I was free to write for other people, which isn't true usually with, uh, with jobs within the comics industry. So I lined up a few other things there. And then after a year and a half, management was changing again at Marvel. And I just, um, I, 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 pretty much, uh, I pretty much decided I, I wanted to do it full time. So I just made the leap. Um, and I cast my lines around. I wrote, I wrote for a lot of people. Um, the, the novels again came about, I'm trying to remember how I got referred to Games Workshop. It might've been the artist, Steve Pugh, who, um, who I'm still in touch with, who works with Ahoy on the book Billionaire Island and who I'd worked with before. Sweet, sweet guy. Um, and I know he was doing a lot of work for, work for Games Workshop at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I can't remember if that was the connection or exactly how that worked. And that got me doing novels. And then a few years later, um, Marvel wanted to publish their own line of prose yes. novels. And uh, Axel Alonso was there who I'd worked with at Vertigo and he thought, and at, and at Marvel actually, um, and he thought of me to freelance edit them, which I did for a while. And I wrote a couple of them. Um, yeah. Actually, Marie and I would sort of tag team edit them. Um, mm -hmm. it, it worked out pretty well. Okay. I think. All right. So now we're going to get into the meat of all this. Yes. Um, purple. Yes, we're going to talk about the wrong earth purple. Now, um, for listeners, now, and Stuart, correct me if I'm wrong, stop me at any time. Um, now, the premise of The Wrong Earth, that was, and it was created by Tom, Tom Pyre and Jamal um, Igo. Now, it's, um, it's basically a dragonfly, and it's like the Batman 66 version and Dragonfly Man. Batman, and this is like the Batman 89 version. They cross over into each other's world through a mirror. Now, to me, to me, and like I said, Stuart, correct me if I'm wrong. To me, it's kind of a fish out of store, um, a fish out of water story that is fun, but yet at times is a little dark. I read the first yeah. miniseries. I highly recommend it to listeners um, who, you know, you know, to check this out. Now, Stuart, do you want to add anything to that, or correct me? You can, you know, please feel free. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically um, two crime fighters. One is a sort of a modern. Um, urban vigilante type who's used to using violence and lives in a very corrupt world where the police can't be trusted. Yes. Um, and the other is more of a um, silver age um, type guy who lives in a world where they, the police are very upstanding and everyone trusts bankers, things mm -hmm. like that. You know? um, and yes, in the core Wrong Earth series, which has gone through two volumes now, um, they, switch, they switch worlds and each of them has to learn, has to adapt, has mm -hmm. to learn to... Um, uh, to, uh, to not just survive, but, um, but practice their, uh, you know, continue their, their fight against crime under conditions that are radically different from anything they've ever known before. Um, and one of the things I really like about The Wrong Earth is that um, uh, they both do adapt. Like they're both, um, yes. they both are really good crime fighters. They're not, the, the Dragonfly Man, who's the, um, the, the one from the more, what you would think of as naive world is not naive. And he's, uh, he's actually, um, he, he learns what he has to do. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, um, he doesn't become his doppelganger because that's not him, yes. but he, um, 
but he learns how to he learns how to how to function and in the second volume which is called wrong earth night and day which is also out in trade paperback they actually meet and they wind up on a third world um and uh and they have to sort of work together and figure out what's going on there um so that's a that's a lot of fun too now when ahoy decided to do a series of wrong earth one shots yes that was tom and jamal um throwing it out to a bunch of other people uh-huh. including myself and just saying what do you want to do with this what can yes. you do and mm-hmm. they wound up with um gail simone's book which is called trapped on teen planet yes which which <laughs> brings them to a uh, a world of uh, a, another world of uh, chocolate shop malt shops and mm-hmm. uh and uh you know teenagers who have band like bands who uh who play uh, bubblegum music and uh kind of like going to the archie world kind sort kind of. of like that yeah you can say that i legally probably can't but yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. um yes. but uh, no that's fine um and uh and mark russell wrote one that he did with michael Montnat called um fame and fortune which is also mm-hmm. out which is an extremely dark story um that basically shows the the two heroes and their civilian identities on their own worlds, mm-hmm. both trying to get a sports stadium built with their, with their name on it and how that goes. And it's, um, it's dire. It's, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a nasty story. Um, and then there was mine, which is about, uh, there's a couple more coming, but there's a, mine is basically about yet another world. And what I thought was, well, the first, the, the dragonfly man basically comes from a world of the 1960s. Okay. And the dragonfly is from a, a, a much more modern world. So I just kind of split the difference and wrote a 1980s story. Yeah. Um, and it draws a bit on, um, you know, some of the works of people like uh, Tim Burton and Michael Keaton and Prince, um, yeah. uh, who, who was an, an inspiration for the villain to a degree. And, and, uh, and, and that's, so that's, that's how that came about. And uh, I have a love of that period. And uh, it just seemed to fit. Um, both the, the the other fascinating thing about that is the 1980s is a period, of course, when rich industrialists, which the dragonfly is, you know, in his secret identity on every world, um, his name is Richard Fame, um, and uh, in the 1980s they were king. They were um, that was the beginning of our sort of overblown, I would say, overblown adulation of of rich tycoons. Um, yes. And uh, and so that that just made it a natural. That just that just snapped the whole thing into place. Um, 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 I'm sorry. I just lost my train of thought because I'm like, oh my god, this sounds. No, that's because I went in a billion directions there. No. I can. Uh, I, I I. By the way, I really want to praise Fred Harper, whose artwork on this was amazing. And he, um, I've told this story a few times, but he, uh, when he wrote, he did this extremely intricate black and white artwork, very moody. And uh, Tom Pyre, who's editing the book, said, maybe this should just, the title of it is Purple. Maybe it should just be done in accented purple tones, you know? Mm -hmm. And he asked Fred if Fred wanted to do that. And Fred said, sure. And Fred went away and he came back with the book fully colored um, Mm -hmm. in not just purple tones, but but in extremely moody, sometimes very limited palettes that's gorgeous. Like I, I, I've never seen a comic that looks like this. And there's a hallucination sequence that's crazy. That's just beautiful. Okay, so, so not spoiling anything that I'm just yep. asking. The hallucination scene, is it more into the comic series? Because I've seen a couple pages, preview pages. Yeah, it's um, further in, it's, okay. it's toward the end. And it features, um, 
I don't know how much of this to give away myself, but um, but I want uh, it's a good selling point. Like it, it uh, let's just say it features cameos um, by characters from the regular Wrong Earth series. Okay, because um, um, actually, let me ask this question before I start. Really, because I've seen couple pages, preview pages of, you know the wrong earth purple and they're amazing. So I'm going to ask, so how did you team up with Fred Harper? Well, Fred, I, I've known Fred a little bit for years, um, but uh, he, he actually did work for Vertigo back in the day. But, uh, but he, um, more recently, he did a book for Ahoy called Snelson, yes. which is very, very much for adults. I want to say that, um, but it's hilarious. It's about a washed up stand-up comedian from the 1990s who tries to make a comeback. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I highly recommend this book. And that was with writer Paul Constant. And I think it was Tom Pyre who suggested him for this. And as it turns out, it was a good collaboration because Fred and I have another much longer project that uh, we can't talk about yet, okay. but that will be coming soon. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I love working with him, great guy. And he's local, he lives in New York, so that helps. That's, That's right, good. yes. But yes, yeah, so listener Snelson now, um, because I remember, actually, it's the second issue that I love of Snelson, where he's like, being, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of, sorry, sir, I'm kind of going off, yeah, yeah. off no, the no, track, but, but I love the part where Snelson is trying to be relevant now. So he's doing podcasting, and I love it. And the, there is one page um, where um, Snelson and his podcast, I guess, producer, you know, you know, and there is supposed to be some type of guerrilla journalist that's following Snelson and, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and then, you know, okay, we're going to do our podcast. We've got this famous guest and all of a sudden the, the producer is kind of telling him through smiling through his face. And he's like, he canceled at the last minute. He doesn't like the show. I don't know, something like that. He canceled at the last minute just so, and then Snelson's going, so what do we do? Well, we just keep smiling in front of her and maybe she'll just <laughs> forget. And, <laughs> yeah, and that smile great. just, it, it just grows out of there. It, it just, it, <laughs> it, but it's so great because um, to me, um, even though it's the smile is, um, is out of proportion, it to me it conveys the message of whenever we get into certain situations where yeah it's supposed to go as planned oh shoot it didn't now how do I tell how do I tell my wife this or do I tell my friend this and you just smile and you're kind of sweating and you're going oh god okay yeah everything's gonna be okay and the smile grows yeah we're fine and smile keeps growing and growing. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask you: Have you uh, have you had that experience on the podcast? Like, have you have you have you had have you had your own smile growing like huge like that? No way! <laughs> Thank God this is audio. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God this is audio. No. Well, I'll try not to. I'll try not to put you through that. <laughs> but but yeah, that is a beautiful page. I agree with you. It's um, it's just a it's a use of um, it's use of an exaggerated um, yes, uh, visual element to really um, convey the emotional um, state of the characters. And uh, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a lovely collaboration between Paul and Fred. They, they, really, they really do a nice job together. Yes, and then also going back to the page that I, actually one of the panels, the preview panels that I saw for The Wrong Earth Purple. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the, the villain, the, the um, dragonflies 
main villain is his his name is number one right yes I, I, okay yeah because there's a scene where um there's a scene where I, it looks like he's playing some huge organ piano there's a guy that's strapped and there's like he's strapped to a bomb and it's it's all dark but it just has and it's like on page two it's all i can i i don't so anyway but but fred's artwork it conveys a sense of dread and fear because even though you can't see the guy, the, the, um, the, uh, the person who, the hostage, right. even though you can't see his whole face, you can see part of his face and you can see the, and it's nothing exaggerated, but it just gives a sense of dread and fear. And then you, he, and the hostage is scared of what's going to happen next. Yeah. Yeah. There's wonderful atmosphere in there. That's actually not number one. That's a, that's a villain I invented called the player. Oh, okay. Um, I'm but, sorry. Uh, a music themed villain. Yeah, um, sorry. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. The um the atmosphere in those scenes is incredible. Um and and again, that's where it it looked great in black and white, but in color Fred just like he added another whole layer to it. It's it's beautiful stuff. Yes. Oh, yes. Um I'm going to um I'm going to ask um you know um and correct me if I'm wrong. So on Earth Kappa's dragonfly does he have, a, he has a different costume. Is that correct? Um, they, they all have, yeah, they all have slightly different costumes. Um, the, uh, Fred designed this one. Um, and what we talked about doing with him was um, uh, trying to evoke this sort of rubber super suits of the, um, of the late eighties and early nineties that, uh, that, yes. that were very much in vogue at that point. Um, so he's, uh, yeah, it, it's a little, um, it's a little bulkier yes. and a little more textured, a little more weirdly textured than the other dragonflies um, mm -hmm. have. And like, and, but, but that's like the, the dragonfly costumes are all subtly different. The, um, yes. the dragon dragonfly man's has these goofy floppy antennae that, yes. uh, that the dragonfly would never, he, he would just chop them off, you know, <laughs> he would never put up with that. Um, so yeah, they're all, it's, it's, it's a slightly different one with heavier boots mm -hmm. and, um, and again, more of a sort of a molded rubber feel mm -hmm. to it. I'm now, this is an off the cuff question and I'm just joking on this one because when you start to talk about the, the rubber molded suit, the, did you guys and, make it where, um, earth cappers dragonfly, cannot turn his head. You have to turn <laughs> I his knew head. you were going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't actually come up. You know, I, I was realizing, I, I, I just watched uh, the new Batman movie and I liked it quite yeah. a bit. I thought it was really good. But, um, but I realized that I, I, they still haven't made those Batman costumes look like you could actually move around or do much yes. in them. And it's been, how long has it been? It's been like 25 years. Like, and Batman still can't really move his head very well. Like, I, I realized whenever I watch those movies, I always want more Bruce Wayne. Like, <laughs> I always like Bruce Wayne in them. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going off the cuff, but um, because, I, because I just had this flashback. I still remember seeing Batman 89 and that the, um, the bell tower scene where he's fighting the Joker, you see him in the background and you see poor Michael Keaton. He can't turn his neck, but you see him turn his whole body. Just to <laughs> he's got to whip around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you watch any of those movies from around that time now, you can tell they hadn't quite figured out how to film a climax yet. Like they're all like, they're all like suddenly you're in like real close to people. Like, and you can barely see what happens. It's like they, they would either run out of money or they just, they just hadn't quite, figured it out with superheroes yet they didn't know what to do but yeah yeah and i like that movie too that's a that's a really fun film oh yeah 
So, um, like you mentioned, Earth Kappa, Earth Kappa is like is in the is is like an Earth where the eighties never end. And according to the promo, this is where greed is good, yes. etc. Now, did you and Fred reminisce living in the eighties? <laughs> uh, I didn't really talk to him about that very much, but uh, I I certainly went back to. Um, yeah, I, I did. I mean, I went back to um, some inspirations with, with regard to music that are salted in there. But also, um, I also uh, went back to uh, Michael Lewis's first book, uh, Liar's Poker, which was his experience as a, um, it's a very entertaining book. It's, a, it's his experience on the trading floor of Lehman Brothers um, when he first got out of college. Um, and he's still doing writing some amazing work. He, he, he had a book out last year called The Premonition, mm -hmm. which is about uh, the lead up to the pandemic and the people at, um, and some key people in local government and local health services who saw something coming. Um, and it's, it's terrific. But, um, but Liar's Poker was his first book and it was very much autobiographical and about him getting out of college mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and going to work in these sort of appalling places with these like brutish guys who were suddenly being told they were the greatest thing in the world and that mm -hmm. the, finance, the financial industry was, uh, um, was king. Um, and, uh, and so I, I did go back to that and there are some very specific references to that just hidden in the back of the, um, in the, in, in the, back of the story. Um, but that was a real inspiration. Oh, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Okay. Um, do you want to give um, any shout outs to, um, to anyone else who contributed to this issue? Uh, uh, Fred did actually, as I said, both the, um, the, uh, letter, the art and the coloring. So he's very much the collaborate, my collaborator on this. Um, the lettering is by Rob Steen, who's an old friend who does lettering for all the Ahoy books, with a, only a couple of creator driven exceptions. Um, and he did a wonderful job as always. Uh, the, um, there's a text page by David Hyde, who is writing, uh, I think you mentioned this, he, he's writing, um, uh, cocktail themed uh, text pages to all the uh, the wrong earthworks, and he really outdid himself on this one. It's uh, it's got references to um, some of the things in the story, and uh -huh. uh, which are takeoffs on like um, magazines and trends of the time um, of the 1980s. So yeah, it's a it's a really sweet piece, and uh, and the um, I just realized it's uh, it's got um, it's got artwork I think by Carol Lay, um, and that's done in um, it's done in pink tones. I guess it's supposed to be purple, but it's more pink. <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, it's it's that's that's really cute too. It's a it's a really nice package. Uh, I got it in the mail I, um, just the other day, and I, I I was looking through copies. I'm like, oh, this all this all really works. It's just a nice. And one thing um, about the um, wrong earth one shots that I don't think Ahoy has um, uh, trumpeted very much yet is that. Um, in most of them, the lead stories are 25 pages. They're a bit longer than usual. Mm -hmm. And I helped set that up as a, as a Hoy's operations manager because um, for the one shots, we thought it would be nice to just have a little more room for the writers and artists to, stories to breathe since they had to, yes. it all had to be done in one. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, that certainly helped me in writing this. Like that made, it, that made it possible to tell a whole story with a larger cast than I could have done in 20 pages. Oh, that's nice. Um, but it doesn't leave as much room for extra features as usual. Like that, that pretty much David's David's uh, David's text page pretty much fills it up. Fills mm -hmm. it up. <laughs> All right. Now, how did you 
How did you get um, Gene Ha and Jerry Orway to do variant covers? Uh, well, those both came. Uh, those both came through Tom Pyre. Um, Jerry had uh, done a, um, a very another variant cover for Ahoy recently for My Bad Number One. Um, and but uh, what Tom's inspiration was to have him do an homage to his uh, his cover for the Batman '89 um, movie adaptation, uh, which uh, which he did beautifully. It's it's really fun. Uh, Gene is doing. Um, I've worked with Gene before. I've known him for a long time. But the, Gene is doing uh, uh, cover C variants for all of the Wrong Earth one shots. Okay. Um, and he did a really nice one for uh, for the, for my book about. Uh, um, that just uses the different versions of Stinger, who's mm-hmm. Dragonfly, Dragonfly Man's um, sidekick mm-hmm. in, the, in the different universes. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's just a really nice piece of art. Gene's Gene's so talented; he's incredible. That is so cool. All right, so Stuart, we've got to part of the interview where I'm just going to ask you funny questions. Okay, listeners, you know we're. This part, we're just, I'm going to ask Stuart just some fun questions. I hope I have funny answers. We'll see. <laughs> and because the main thing is we love comics and we love poking fun at events, you know. So, you know, my question is this, you know, one of the lines to build up this event, you know, the Wrong Earth event was, words will be written, words will be erased. Were some of your words erased from this issue? Uh, mostly by me. Um, I uh, one of my favorite things to do uh, when I'm writing comics is when I see the art mm-hmm. and realize I can trim my own writing that it's not necessary. I, I I just love doing that when the art just tells the story. Mm-hmm. So I think I did that a little bit, but uh, no, I, I I did. I was not a victim of extreme censorship or anything. If that's what you're asking, oh. I, I wasn't told. Uh, I don't I don't remember being. Um, Tom Tom will Tom makes suggestions and. Uh, and I, I I agree with them sometimes. So uh, yeah, but no no, it was a it was a very um it was more of a um how shall I put this um it wasn't so much a crisis on infinite earths yes. situation where entire like pages or worlds were destroyed. It was a uh, it was more um I don't know maybe flashpoint. I don't know I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was something else. It was something else. All right now. Did you toy around with other ideas for your story, such as maybe, how about the wrong earth, cashmere? <laughs> no, uh, I did um, uh, I, I did recently no, uh, look up the original outline mm-hmm. and the, um, the working title was um, the wrong earth, like it's 1989. Um, but uh, purple was just punchier and seemed to fit better. So, I, so we went with that instead. Um, now, um, now the labeling of this multiverse spanning money grab comic, you, um, (laughs) this is labeled, you know, the multiverse spanning money grabbing comic event. Now I'm joking on this part. Is it true? You guys want to charge $5 for this book instead of $4.99? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I was not prepared for that question. Um, I have, uh, as, um, as Marjorie Taylor Greene would say, I have no recollection of those discussions. Final question. Will we see a wrong earth story? And I'm going to say from you. Okay. That takes place in Hawaii. Will we see something like that? 
Um, I would love that because uh, that would mean I would have to go there for research and I've never been. So, um, but, uh, but that's not entirely under my control. So uh, let's put a pin in that one. Let's come okay. back to that maybe in a year. Let's, uh, let's see. So, and you can pitch that to Tom. Tom, I want to do wrong work. Uh, we have to set it in Hawaii, um, but I have to go to Hawaii. You yeah, know? noted. It's on the agenda. Yep. <laughs> All right. Stuart, thank you for Thank you for just having fun with those questions. <laughs> um, but you know, but like I, but um, you know, listeners again, you know, the wrong earth. You know, some some of these stories are funny, but yet there's also a little bit of a dark undertone to them. But it's very good. It really is. Yeah, it's all very accessible too. I think, like if you if you if you if you've ever seen anything about. Um, multiverses and i think a lot of people have just this weekend um yes. and you can uh, you can um you can pick up uh I, we're recording this right after dr strange opened i should say yes, that we have to yeah, um, we have to. but uh but uh um then you can you can you've you've seen you know what we're um you know what we're playing off of you know what we're, we're riffing from oh yeah all right now i'm going to move on to um your one of your recent pros novels actually came out last year um, Marvel Crisis Protocol Target Cree. Yeah. Now, what is what is the story about? Well, we uh, yeah we talked about it a little bit at the beginning yes. of the podcast. I guess uh, they, um, it's uh, basically what they um, Aconite Books came to me, and what they wanted was um, sort of a large scale epic story because um, uh, Crisis Protocol again is a tabletop miniatures game um, that, uh, that that involves all the big Marvel characters. Um, and what I tried to do with Target Cree was write um, my own version of um, the equivalent of a Thanos movie. Um, just something huge scale with a lot of characters. Um, Marvel rather wisely asked me to trim it back a little bit, otherwise it would have come out much longer. Um, but, um, but it's basically, um, the, the, the plot of it is that uh, after the... Um, it starts off with the Guardians, and when the Guardians fail to stop the destruction of a planet, um, a group of Kree refugee from the planet uh, come to Earth, mm -hmm. you know, and start uh, working for Stark Enterprises, you know, mm -hmm. pilot employment program for immigrants, basically. Um, and uh, that doesn't go very well. Um, conditions aren't good. Um, something's very wrong here. And that brings Tony Stark into it, like what's going on in his company, something that he's not aware of. Mm -hmm. um, the Guardians become involved. The Guardians, um, the Guardians wind up in battle with the Avengers for various reasons, and the whole thing just sort of mushrooms from there. Um, I was, um, it was very important to me if I'm going to write a book like this that it, uh, obviously, it has to be a big thrill ride and a um, and a slugfest with a lot of characters. But I also wanted it to be really about something, and the. Um, the plight of immigrants and worker, workers' rights was very important to me and is very much at the core of this story. Um, hopefully in a way that's not preachy, but that, uh, but that sort of um, comes naturally out of the characters and the, and the situations set up. Um, so. Oh, okay. No, but that's pretty cool because it's, it's um, I mean, we talked about our love for Star Trek. It's, the story's kind of sort of yeah. a metaphor. Instead yeah, of coming out and going, you know, we're going to use the Avengers and Guardians and the Guardians. Right, right. In the same way that Star Trek would uh, tell stories about racism or about the Vietnam War at the time mm -hmm. in, the, in the 60s um, in a disguised way, in a, in a, in a science, with a science fictional gloss over it. Um, yeah, and uh, I, uh, I, um, 
Oh, I, had, I was, I was going to say something else about it and it went completely out of my mind. Um, the, uh, the, the, the crisis protocol thing was, was really nice because it did give me access to all these great characters. Um, probably the most important characters in the book are Tony Stark, Iron Man, um, and Ms. Marvel, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and the Guardians. Um, mm -hmm. but, but there are a lot of others. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, I, I, got to, I got to play with a lot of fun toys there. Ah, that's so nice. Now, um, and uh, oh, I knew what I was going to say was yes. that it's, um, it, it is, it's, it's based on the game and it's tied into the game, but no knowledge of the game is, you don't need to know anything about the game to read it. It's basically the Marvel Universe yes. versions of the characters. Okay, so, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. I was trying to, it's going to sound like a dumb question. You know, um, you know, um do you hope that you know the, you know the, the like the marvel crisis protocol books you know do do you hope that it will lead some novel readers to maybe jump over to reading either comics or trades and vice versa where comic fans can you know move from comics to reading the novels yeah hopefully i mean it's i i always like it when there's cross pollination frankly there's so much there's so much. There's so much of all of this being published now. There's so much comics material and so yes. much um, prose novels that um, I. Uh, yeah, I, I. I. I mean, I obviously I particularly hope that people will um, read the novel <coughs> and think, oh, that's Stuart Moore. He's pretty talented. I should check out what he. What else he's done? You know, and that that could that could uh, that could lead to stuff like well, like Wrong Earth Purple, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, um, but yeah, um, I, I. I think we're also we're living in a. Um, in a in a time when um as I, I i think i touched on this earlier in the podcast but like these characters are so common coin from the movies now everyone knows who they are mm -hmm. um and that didn't used to be true um so hopefully uh the whole thing is a bit more accessible um than it might have been like if you wrote a novel in the 1970s or 80s yes or i'm i'm just gonna say i i just thought of um nancy collins when she wrote a Fantastic Four novel back in the 90s. Oh, did she? Uh, wow, I don't even remember that. That's crazy. It was Fantastic yeah. Four yeah. Attack on Atlant Atlantis. Okay. Um, and she said, you know, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, had to, you know, it had to be a Fantastic Four story, but in reality, it was more of she wanted to write a Namor story. So yeah. Melissa, so, yeah. So, and if we think about it, even back in the 90s, you know, you know, um, not not all you know um, pop culture fans. If we go, if we're back in the ninth, we talk about Submariner or Namor. They'd be looking at us like, "What?" I know. Yeah. yeah. You know, who's that? I actually, I wrote a I wrote a Namor series for a while, about ten years ago. That was fun. Uh, I I wrote I wrote about eleven issues of that. Um, mm -hmm. That was, and that was wild because he's such a he, he's such a proud and honorable character, but such a jerk at the same time. Like he was he was really fun to write at the time. I was sort of I think I was sort of basing him on Don Draper from Mad Men more than anything else. That that seemed to fit. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no. I, I, your to your larger point, yes, I, I agree. The um, these uh, the, there's there's a lot more room to. I feel like I have to. Um, well, you know, I actually remember this is a digression, but I actually remember when I was a kid, um, there were these little novelizations of the original Star Trek series that would that would put like six or eight stories yes. in a single volume. James and I remember Blish. That James Blish, yeah, yeah. And Sorry. I remember the first couple of them, he uh 
he started off by sort of describing the Enterprise, describing the um, the bridge, uh-huh. and who Captain Kirk was. And I noticed by the third one, he didn't, he didn't, he felt like he didn't need to. I think yeah. because people knew who knew what the Enterprise looked like. like yes. they knew um, they knew who Captain Kirk was. Yes. Um, so, and especially if you were, I mean, I do take, I, I do tend to assume that if you're actually going to sit down and pick up a Marvel novel, mm-hmm. you probably have some familiarity with these characters at this point. Like, yes. I don't think there's anybody who has never seen a Marvel movie mm-hmm. who's going to buy my book. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that's probably going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so many people have seen that, that that's, a, that's a huge potential audience right there. And then the other, uh, sorry, Stuart, I'm kind of going down rabbit holes, but, but the other thing too is not only is, is just that the Marvel movies, um, the comics, but also too, I just thought about it too, is that, I mean, uh, are on our iPhones. We have the iApple yeah. News app. And I mean, all of a sudden you can scroll down and you can see like, um, um, I'm going to try to pick up some obscure character, um, Squirrel Girl. I'm just going to yeah. pull Squirrel Girl. All of a sudden, you know, if there's a hint of a rumor of where Squirrel Girl comes, you know, like Squirrel Girl is going to appear in Doctor Strange 3 or Guardians of the Galaxy 4. And all of a sudden, the article will just go into who it's, who may play it, but then also who is Squirrel Girl, too. And then and that gives other people exposure of who these characters are. Yeah, and I think um, I think modern um, readers and, and viewers are used to that. They're, if they don't know who somebody is, they don't give up. They don't throw up their arm. They just pull out their phone, you know, frankly. And uh, that allows you to do a lot of interesting things with storytelling. It's uh, You still have to keep people's interest or they won't keep reading. Um, but... Um, if they come across, or even if a, even in a long-form TV show, mm-hmm. if a character comes back who hasn't been around for a while, the, people will check on it. Like they won't if they're if they're into the show, they'll um they'll they'll they won't be confused. They'll yeah. just find out. They'll just figure it out. So yeah, yeah, we have different we have different tools available as viewers as readers than we used to. Mm-hmm. Because 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 we both know back in like in the seventies and eighties, of course. You know, all we had through actually through either DC, I just keep thinking of DC was the um, the DC, um, not the letter page, but like they would have, oh yeah, you know, Superman fights Terra, Terra, Terra Man. This is who Terra Man is, and he's going to appear in this. And the Answer Man, you know, oh, Answer Man, yeah, yeah, you know, and then also too, what was it? Oh, um, and that page, the Direct Currents page. Yes, that's yeah, it. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. all we had back then was. Um, amazing! The Amazing Heroes magazine, mm-hmm. comics. And, I mean, it, and it was these were these were magazines that were just only so, and I could be wrong, but I only noticed them mostly in like uh, um, direct sale comic book shops. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much where they were sold. Yeah, and that. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm digressing. Okay, sorry. I'm going to slowly wrap this up. Cool. Okay, so um. What is the most fun or exciting thing that you love uh, love about writing in general, whether it's comics or short stories, novels? Um, I, I, uh, I really love when, and, and this, uh, this doesn't always happen, but um, I love it when I can just get in a flow and something lines up when I've prepared well enough and when I'm, uh, when I'm really into a story and, um, and everything just falls together 
better than I expected and new ideas keep occurring to me as I'm writing. That's just a wonderful experience. Okay. Thank you for answering that question. Thank you. Or as uh, Charles Bukowski put it, uh, it's the only good fight there is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is your favorite convention moment, whether as a fan or as a creator? Ooh. Um, wow. Uh, I love conventions. I, I, I really do. I, I, most people will complain about them, but I, I miss them. I, I haven't really gone to many of them since the pandemic started. Um, but uh, wow. Uh, the, um, the, the uh, okay, the signing I did with Stanley um, in, I want to say 2016, it was somewhere around there. Um, that was pretty amazing. That was pretty special. Um, it was in the Disney booth right in the middle of uh, Comic-Con San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, and people just kept coming up and people were so excited to see him. And he, um, he was, I was sitting with him and he was a little hard of hearing. I had to repeat what people said to him sometimes. Um, but uh, that was a really special day. That was, that was really nice. Really nice. Um, I'm, I'm just asking, do you have a, do you know when your next convention or store signing appearance may be? I'm not, I'm not committing to anything right now. I, I will in some form or another be around for New York Comic Con in, <laughs> uh, in October because that's local to me. Uh, this past year, I, uh, I didn't actually go to the con. I just sort of hung around for two days and uh, met up with people. And that was, that was really nice. The weather was beautiful. Um, it's all going to depend on um, pandemic numbers. I feel like people are not taking this as seriously in this region as they should. Um, our numbers are up. And uh, yeah, I'm all you know, double boosted and everything, but uh, I still don't want it. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take it a step at a time. I was, I, I am actually just about to cancel my Comic-Con San Diego hotel. Um, I just can't see, I can't see going to an event of that <laughs> magnitude um, right now. Um, I, even if, and it's so expensive anyway, and I probably just wouldn't enjoy myself. So hopefully next year for that. Um, Stuart, I'm going to say, no, I understand because um, we have, um, actually, we on Oahu, we have two comic book conventions. One is still kind of up in the year. I think they'll probably come back in 2023. But uh -huh. our other one, Comic-Con Honolulu, is in August. I'm going to say back in February of this year, I was going to go, oh, you know, numbers look kind of, they're going down. I might go, but now numbers are going back up. And we're gonna, like, yeah. We're recording this in the middle of May, and it's our numbers are creeping back up. So I'm kind yeah, of yeah, so yeah. I think yeah. I'll skip it this year. So yeah, okay. So um, I you've already answered this question, but I'm going to ask you. Um, I'm going to take a little spin on this. Maybe I have a better answer. Just now. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but um, so um, is Hawaii on your bucket list for you and your? <laughs> Um, I, I would, I would love to go to Hawaii. I haven't, uh, it's, it's not, um, it hasn't been the top of my list. Like I, I just, I, I'm drawn to, uh, I, I, I've tended to go to, um, I've been to, well, I'd love to get back to Europe again. Um, but, uh, but right now I'm not thinking about that stuff very much because, um, the, uh, the pandemic is still making travel tricky and, uh, I figure in a year or two, I'll regroup, figure this out. But yes, I would love to come to Hawaii sometime. Okay. All right. Last question. Any closing words to our listeners? 
Um, I uh, hope everybody's um, hope everybody's safe. Mm -hmm. I hope everybody's um, hope everybody's doing okay. The world's a little scary right now. Yes. Um, and uh, if you uh, if you um, have a if you have a little time and you want a little um, if you want to jump back to the 1980s for a little bit, try my book Wrong Earth Purple. It's only one one issue. You can get in, you can get out, and you might uh, you might be introduced to the Wrong Earth series too, which I think you'd also enjoy. Now, Stuart, thank you very much. I wish you all the success with the Wrong Earth Purple, you know, and mahalo. Thank you in Hawaii. Thank you very much for your time. Literally, thank you very much. I mean, I'm sorry. I know I was going to rabbit, down rabbit holes asking you. <laughs> oh, no, no. I love that. I love that. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you um, you talking to me about this, about all this stuff today. And I, I went, I, I think I went on a few pretty weird digressions myself. So you've been bearing with me. <laughs> no, but, no, but I have to say, but that, um, I can't remember the writer's name that you mentioned, but that book titled Premonition. Oh, oh yeah, Michael own. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. That's I, uh, I, I recommend that book very highly. I yeah. really want to read that. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry. Okay. So, um, I also want to thank Hannah of Super Fan Promotions for setting up this interview. So, Hannah, thank you very much. Thank Yay, you. Hannah. <laughs> and then, now, if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader, please check out the Wrong Earth, the Wrong Earth event from Ahoy Comics. Now, the Wrong Earth Purple, um, you know, when this when this is when this interview comes out, it already came out. It came out on May 18th, so please check that out. Also, to check out um, the Wrong Earth Trapped on Teen Planet, also the Wrong Earth Fame and Fortune. Um, if you are interested. In, you know, in these one shots, please ask your a local comic shop to order them. Also, to the Wrong Earth Confidence Men comes out on June twenty second. Yeah, that's Mark Wade and uh, and Leonard Kirk. That's a really nice book. And there's one more after that. You probably have it down there, right? Um, yeah, the Wrong Earth Meat. 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 <laughs> um, Tom Pyre and Greg Scott. Greg okay. Scott. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a nice book too. That's a, and that's Tom, the creator of the, the series, co-creator. Yeah. And then I just want you know, Drew. Thank you very much, Drew. Thank you, Drew. The Coles of Comics for Fun and Profit for putting this episode together, Drew. Yes, thank, thank you, you Drew. Drew. Thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listener. Thank you very much for your time. I mean, literally, because me and Stuart were going, we, we were just like talking about old times and stuff like that. So, you know, just thank you very much. Yeah, thank you really put up with us. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. <laughs> so thank you. You know, thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Aloha. Our LCS is Cowabunga Comics out of Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And their mail order company, Deep Discount Comics. Um, and we went there, and, and we were actually invoice number 0001. We are the we were the very first <laughs> their very first customer, um, which was kind of cool. They've been nothing short of fantastic customer service wise. Discounts they were very close, if not the same or better than DCBS on a lot of things. Um, mm -hmm. Over and above. Uh, customer service wise always taking care of us going the extra mile so responsive getting instantaneous uh responses back to uh questions about things and to the point where 
knowing the stuff you like and anticipating your needs and having it suggested to, that you might want to add this to your order already uh, before you even have to think about about it. That's kind of cool. Really quality experience. So we, we love working with Cowabunga and Deep Discount, and that's why they're in our show notes every single episode and have been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes that mm-hmm. we leave them there because we like them. They're cool, good people. That's why they're in there. By God, they'd tell you to, if you've got a local comic book shop that you love, stay with them because every, everybody needs to support their local comic shops. But if you're looking, check them out. You can check them out in, in the show notes. There's plenty of ways to get a hold of them. Either get on their list just so you can check and see what kind of FOC and pre-order stuff they have and the discounts, and they'll send it to you um, each month, get you on that email list. And you can check out their shop because they have a great shop of exclusive Cowabunga mm-hmm. variants. Amazing stuff. Yes, they've always been there for us, and we take them for granted. So there you go. Now you, now you know. <laughs>